ago, I, I was out running, and when I started running out in the country, this little loop, um, it was a beautiful day. I mean, just beautiful day. And as I was running, I took, kept turning, didn't even look around, didn't see the sky. But when I came around again to turn, I looked off to the west, and it was, the sky was absolutely black, just extremely black. There was a massive storm coming in, and I was about uh, a mile and a half from home. And it was coming in fast. I mean, it was a bad storm. The sirens went off when I was about uh, more than a half mile from home for tornadoes. And I started to panic. And I started to uh, look for cars. I was literally yelling for help, trying to wave cars down. And people did not notice me. I thought they just thought I was messing around or something. I was absolutely desperate for help. That's what Psalm 5 is. It is a morning prayer of help. Psalm 5 says this. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Psalms, the book of Psalms, John Calvin said, is a mirror of the soul. When you read the Psalms, it's really seeing ourselves. And they're, they're poems. They're songs. They were written for our instruction. And they should shape the way we think. And they should shape the way that we feel and look at life. They were arranged to assist the people of God to walk with God and to know God. They, weren't just, they were just arranged that way when they were put into Scripture. So Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 2 are introduction. And Psalm chapter 1 says we were created for life. We are to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And Psalm chapter 2 says that we need a king, a Messiah, to make that so. And then Psalm chapter 3, the first verse of Psalm th- chapter 3, it says, Life's hard, and David is crying out in pain. And then Psalm chapter 4, we look at last week, is an evening psalm. And we said this is the rhythm that God has designed for prayer. That we have to pray ourselves to peace. And let God have control of our lives. Or we cannot pray in the morning effectively, like it says in Psalms chapter 5. We have to, in the evenings, petitionally pray, God, I'm going to give this up to you. I'm going to let you control it so that when we wake up in the morning, like in Psalm chapter 5, it's a morning prayer about the beginning of the day when we don't know exactly what's going to take place. All we know, it's a new morning and there's a lot of things that we need help with. 
Prayer is a gift of grace that we have been given by God. But prayer is hard, isn't it? Prayer is our most people, most of us, we still struggle with prayer. We don't fully understand prayer. Prayer is hard because life is hard as Christians. God's given us prayer as a gift to us. Prayer for us is like calling 911 in the 911 world that we live in. Someone said, unless you know that life is war, you won't know what prayer is for. Prayer is not passive. At all. Randy Alcorn says my, one of my favorite quotes on prayer. He says, prayer isn't passive, it's active. It's really doing something. Prayer isn't the least we can do, it's the most. That's what's happening in Psalm chapter 5. In Psalm chapter 4, David has laid himself to rest. He, he finished his day and there were things unfinished. There was still injustice in the world. He was still troubled by problems. But he was able to pray petitionally, saying, That God is worthy. God is God. And so in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone make me dwell in safety. Then he wakes up in the morning in Psalm 5 and he says, Give ear to my words, O O Lord. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Psalm 5 is. It's very active. That God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 5 is a psalm to help refresh us in our personal prayer, so we can faithfully plow through a day. School's starting up for the teachers and the school staff. And that's, that, that charges up our whole culture around here. And you're going to be plowing through some days. Many of you, many of you are already plowing through days. And you're not going to get relief from anywhere else. Coming home, turning on the news, it's not relief. So what we have to learn to do is pray in personal prayer in a way that will refresh us. And Psalm 5 teaches us and helps us how to do that. How do we pray in a personal way in the morning when there's all kinds of chaos, all kinds of injustice, all kinds of things that can be done? How can we see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And so David, we're just going to walk through this, and he prepares himself, and he teaches us, and he teaches the people of God how to pray in the morning in our personal prayer so we can be refreshed, so we can plow through the day and see God's kingdom advanced. He says this, there is some preparation to prayer. In verses 1 through 3, right at the beginning, he says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings. I think when I started this series on Psalms, I started out with the word sighs. We all sigh. There's good sighs and there are bad sighs. We sigh a lot. And if you don't turn your sighs into prayer, you are not going to let able to see God's kingdom come. Anything that makes you groan, that makes you sigh, David says, turn that into prayer. All our pain is to be turned into prayer. I've met people and they say, you know, hey, how can I pray for you? And they, they think they're really being spiritual when they say, oh, no, there's a lot more important people to pray for. There's a lot more important things to pray for. You don't need to pray about me. That's not what David says at all. That's not even, that's not scripture. That's not the way Christians, the people of God, are to, to react. We groan, don't we? We all have things that we could sigh about this morning. And if we don't turn those over to God, and we don't prepare ourselves and see that all pain is to be a prayer, everything we're supposed to pray about, every little detail, we're not going to see God's kingdom come. His will be done at the beginning of the day. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. 
By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. That's what David did. He wakes up this morning, and he realizes there's a lot to be done. There are still enemies out there. There are people who are attacking him. There are struggles. There's injustice in the world. And so the first thing when he wakes up in the morning, he groans. Not everybody does this. Not every personality does this. Some of you wake up and you're all excited and you can't wait to get the day going. Some of you wake up and all you do is groan until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon when it's time to go back to bed. Everybody's personality is different, but there's something in all of us that makes us groan. And whatever that groan is, whatever that pain is, it has to be turned into prayer. Whatever your pain is, turn it into prayer. And all prayer, though, is to be turned to God. It says, give ear to my words, O Lord, or I am. The great I am. If you read Psalm 5, all over the place, he's talking about you, you. He's talking about pray to you. There's all, people pray in our culture. We are, we are a culture that prays. Everybody says when something tragic takes place, like we heard all this week, everybody said, I'm going to pray for the Williams family. I'm praying for this. I'm praying for this. I'll pray for you. You can, you'd think sometimes Facebook is the most spiritual thing in the world because people are telling us, pray, 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 pray. But what they are talking about may not be praying to God. Some people will pray to their chair that's comfortable. They'll pray to the sky. They'll pray to all kinds of different things. But prayer that is going to be effective for believers is to be prayed to the great I am, to the Lord. I pray to you. All prayer is to be to God. And then David says, we we are supposed to pray persistently. Look what he says in verse 3. Oh, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. Then he repeats it. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you. I do this every day. I, I do this every moment I need you. I do this over and over again. He prays persistently. And then he, he crafts them in such a way that he says, In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you. This is intentional. When David would get up in the morning, he had all these sighs that he was praying for. He turned them into prayers. He was struggling and he, but he would prepare it. He wouldn't just get up and just shoot them things off. He was intentional. Well, the idea is he prepared a sacrifice. He, he thought through what he was going to say at times. His sighs became cries that turned into crafted words. And when we pray in the morning with all our sighs, sometimes we don't know what to say, do we? Sometimes all we can do is sigh. And the Holy Spirit says in Romans 8 that he can hear that and he can understand that. But as we get up in the morning, as you get up and start your day, and you think of all the things you've got going on, David's saying, listen, turn your groanings, prepare this altar, prepare this way of praying. He says he has sighs, hear my groanings, hear my cries, hear my voice in the morning. And he prayed persistently. He kept going after God. And then David did this and watch. In the morning, I pray it, prepare a sacrifice for you and Watch. We don't know what God is going to do in a day. We have no idea what he's going to do, what circumstances are going to happen into our lives. But David said when he got up in the morning with all his sighs, all his groanings, he would put them to God. He would turn them over to God. He lift them up. And then he would watch to see how God was going to answer it. He expected God to work through his prayers. He expected God to hear. And I, I think one of the things that we lack often we, we, we pray. We say all kinds of things often. We pray for people, but then we forget that we just prayed to the great I am, and we forget to expect God to work. 
Expect God and watch him. Well, this is what David did. He, he prayed. He was in trouble. He, went, he, he prepared it before God. He gave it to God. And then as he went through his day, he was watching to see how was God going to answer that prayer. And when he saw it, he praised God. And when he didn't see it, he got up the next morning and he prepared it again and he watched for God to work. Someone said a couple hundred years ago, he is either a fool or a madman. He is either very weak or very wicked that prays and prays but never looks after his prayers. That shoots many an arrow towards heaven but never minds where his arrow ends. We're supposed to pray intentionally. We're supposed to pray looking for God to watch. I don't know how this is going to work out, God, but I'm asking you for this. And I'm going to watch to see how you do it because I know you hear my prayer. That's what David does at the beginning of his morning as he prepared himself to pray. And as you prepare to go through your week, prepare yourself for prayer. Don't wake up in the morning with all these aches and all these sighs and just take off to work and say, I got it. There's too many other things going on in the world. God doesn't have time for me. It's not true. All our pain is to be prayer. All prayer is to be to God. Prayer is to be persistent. And then we're supposed to expect God to work and watch him work. Why do we do this? What's the purpose of prayer? And David now looks away from God and he looks at the wicked. He says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil might not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Sometimes we have a hard time thinking about God this way. This isn't the way we are raised in our culture to talk about other people. That God would, he doesn't delight in wickedness. The reason that we pray is because life is war. There's all kinds of brokenness in the world. Things are not the way they are supposed to be. This is not the life that God originally designed for us. We weren't intended to wake up every morning with a sigh. We weren't intended to wake up frustrated and worried and concerned and beat down. We weren't meant to die. That's not the way God designed it. But wickedness came in. And wickedness is the idea of not just evil. The wicked, the idea is things are not being used the way they're supposed to be used. And the, our lives are not being used by the way they're supposed to be used. We're, we're getting used too often in ways. And people are using their lives not the way that God designed them. And so God says, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. God, he looks at the world and he says, I don't like this. I don't like how the world has become. This is not the way I designed it. He doesn't like it. There's no pleasure that God has in wickedness. The world's broken. But we got to be very careful that we don't move too quickly to what this says about God for us says, for you are not a God. This is who God is. When we read these, he's telling us, this is God revealing himself to us. You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and and deceitful Men, this is the purpose of prayer. Because we all fall into those categories, if we're honest. If we look what God hates, what he abhors, what he says about liars, what he says about the proud, how can we pray? We need help outside ourselves. So the first purpose of prayer, this cry for help outside of ourselves, is a cry for salvation because we are sinners. 
See if you can find yourself in verses 4 through 6. Was there a time you've ever been boastful? Was there a time you've ever lied? Ever been deceitful? Ever used your life in a way that God did not intend for your life to be used? The Bible says God hates all those things. And we need help. So the first cry for help is salvation, to see outside ourselves. And the second one is for securing help. Because David says in verse 7, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. How can any of us get up in the morning and pray and believe that God can hear us? Because based off of verses 4, 5, and 6, none of us have any hope, if we're really honest. The only hope we have is the gospel. But it's not what I do. It's what Jesus did for me. It's his righteousness. It's God's abundance of his steadfast love. I can get up and you can get up if you are, if you prayed and if you cried out to God in desperation for your sin and asked him to save you, you can wake up in the morning securing his help because it's not about your righteousness. It's about Jesus's righteousness for you. And it's abundant. God's un ending abundant steadfast love for us it means god delights in us he delights over you because it's not about you it's about what god's done for you through jesus christ he says but i david was able to say this which is amazing when you think about david's life but i through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house because prayer is a relationship Prayer is a relationship. It's not some rigid system. So when you wake up in the morning and you've got this deep sigh tomorrow and you need help, don't think that it's some type of rigid system if you're a follower of Jesus Christ where you have to say, oh, I've got to do this and then I've got to do this and then I've got to do this and then I can cry and ask God for help. That's not what David says at all. I don't have to do anything to, hear, to get God to hear me. Because it's, I'm trusting what Jesus did for me. I'm trusting in the good news of the gospel. And it's not my righteousness. It's God's righteousness. So I can just come and I can cry. I can sigh and I can pray passionately that God's will will be done. Because there's all kinds of injustice going on in the world. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I got a way that I want it to turn out. I want it to turn out that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So don't look at prayer as it's some strategy. Or it's some rigid process. It is a, prayer is a relationship with a God who has unending, abounding, steadfast love for you. Which means when you blow it at 10 o'clock tomorrow and 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you can still wake up on Tuesday because of the grace of God and his abundant, steadfast love for you and cry out to God. That's the hope of the gospel. If you don't understand this, you're going to live your life by resilience and not dependence. Our area out here, this culture that we live in, is unbelievably resilient. We are hardworking middle Americans who pull things up by our bootstraps. And we understand that life is not fair. We get that. We understand that it's hard. We understand that the people who sometimes don't work hard get a lot of good things happen to them. Some people who work hard get bad things happen to them. We understand that that's, that's culture in the Middle West. And you can live your life resilient or you can live your life dependent. And as a Christian, we're not called to live resilient because it's not about us. 
We are called to live dependent on Jesus Christ. And so if you think, I'm just going to make it through, I'm just going to plow through, I know bad things happen, but I hope if I work really hard, I'll get through tomorrow, that's not the gospel. That's work. That's going to wear you out and break you down and burn you out. The gospel says, through the abundance of your steadfast love, just cry out to me and be dependent on me. Be dependent on me. Don't be, don't try to be resilient. It's not works. It's grace. It's unbelievable grace of God. But it's not because you deserve it. It's not because you deserve it at all. It's because we all rebelled against God. We used our lives in ways that are not supposed to be used, and we still do. But God still said, I love you anyway. And I love you so much that I want to rescue you. I want to redeem you. And my love will never stop for you. It's steadfast. It's by God's covenant with us. And so then David goes on to say, I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. And then for the first time in this prayer, he prepared himself in the psalm. He prepared himself in verses 1 through 3. He looked at the wicked. And then for the first time in this prayer, he prays. And he says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. He he prays for help. He asks God to secure help for me. Let justice be done. Some people say, how can they pray like this in the, the Psalms? How when you read some of these Psalms, David is like, kill my enemies, wipe them out, take them down. You know, if you did that at work, you know, the guys, uh, I'm praying that you are going down. That doesn't fit well with our culture. We don't know how to handle that if somebody said that to us. It seems very odd to us. We're not supposed to do that. We even, we even take national tragedies, and even people who don't love God know that there's something not quite right about just bashing completely your enemies. That's not what David does. So what is going on when he prays these imprecatory prayers? David is all about the justice of God. He's waking up every morning, and he's looking at the world, and he's saying, I've got enemies all around me, and I am in trouble, and there is trouble everywhere, and the will of God is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to see the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so for that to take place, justice must be done. David is all about justice in these Psalms. He wants to see justice done. In the Eastern culture, they got this. In the Western culture, we don't really know how to handle this. But he's not, he's praying that there is justice. Wrongs have been done. Justice needs to take place. And so he prays these things. Lead me. Let my enemies be defeated. God, let your will be done today. Let what be, let, let it be done today. That's what he's praying. And then he says, he goes in and just talks about, this is how wicked they are. Their, their mouths are like open tombs. It stinks. It's filthy what they're trying to do. And so he prays against them so that justice can be done. And then he says in verse 11, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. And this is a great verse. Except for the fact we're talking about prayer. And when we pray sometimes, when we wake up in the morning with groanings and pains and trials and the burdens of life, and we pray for them and we pray for them and we pray for them and we pray for them, Guess what? They don't always get answered this way. So how can David go from all these problems and then all of a sudden he say in verse 11, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Like everything's just wonderful. You say, I don't know. This is why people don't always believe in God. This is why people don't want to pray. 
Because they said, oh, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and it didn't get answered the way I thought. So what do we do when we have these personal prayers that we pray every day? When we pray, and we hope that God will want his will done like we want his will done. And, it, and when we pray and bad things happen, what do we do? We have to understand that just because, Tim Keller says, you can't see or imagine a good reason why God might allow something to happen doesn't mean that there can't be one. When we get up in the morning tomorrow and you got this burden for your family or for your job or for your friend and you pray and instead of it turning out good, all of a sudden it looks like catastrophe and it went bad and it gets worse and it gets worse, what are we supposed to do? Just start rejoicing with joy? David did. But it's because he understood that just because he couldn't understand why there might be a good reason for this to take place, he knew that God knew. And he knew that God was sovereign, that God was good, and that all things will work together for good to those who love God. There's a story of someone who says that you pick a tent, and if you look into a tent, and you saw St. Bernard in the tent, a little putt tent, you would believe that there's a St. Bernard in the tent. But if you looked at the tent and there was nothing in it but a little uh, no seams, these little bugs you can't really see, and say, well, there's no bugs in there, you'd still be wrong. Because just because your brain can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. And so when we pray personal prayers, and some of you have prayed personal prayers for years and years, and instead of it getting better, it just gets worse after year after year after year. What are we going to do? Are we going to say, God, you're not real just because it's getting worse for me? No. The Christian says, I don't understand, God, but I trust you anyway. You are sovereign. You are good. You are loving. So I will rejoice that just because I don't understand why, there is a reason why. Someone said that God will always give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. God would have, he may not give you everything you pray for, but he will always give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. So as we're praying these personal prayers and we have all these signs, we're always going on, we can still pray and we can still rejoice and we can still have joy, even if it gets worse. Because we can keep coming morning after morning because God's mercies are new every morning. And we know there is a promise that we can claim. Because David goes on to say, the rest of verse 11 and 12, Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. When you wake up in the morning and you have a petition, a sigh, and you want to pray tomorrow, and you prepare and you pray, the promise that we have to claim onto is verse 12. For the Lord blesses the righteous. He covers them with favor as with a shield. How do we know this is true? And the shield that they were talking about back then, they had two shields. One you wore on your arm and one big one. And the big one was a huge one, covered your whole body, a little thing on top. And guess when you would use the big one? 
You would use the big shield when you need your whole body completely covered with the over, when you're going towards the enemy, when you're in the midst of the fight. You don't need a big shield if you're not getting attacked. You don't need a big shield to cover you and protect you if you're not in the middle of something very hot and very dangerous. But God says, listen, for you who bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favor as with a shield. And it's the big shield, which means God puts us often in places that are hot, troublesome, for our good, even if we don't understand them, and it's a blessing for us. It's good for us. How can we know that this is good for us? How do we know that this is the kind of God we have? Because it says in Luke 24, verses 36 through 40, And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he's with his disciples, and he said to them, Why are you, Jesus said, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple, blessing God. Why can we claim this promise when we pray? Why can we know that God hears us when we sigh? Because it's not our righteousness, it's God's righteousness. And all the evil, all the pain that you ever endured or ever will endure was poured out on Jesus. We don't have a God who sits up aloof. We have a God who knows our suffering, saw our suffering, and suffered with us. We have a suffering God who still has scars on his hands and on his side. And so when we come to God and cry out for help, which is the most gracious, true grace prayer there is, just help God, I don't know, understand what I'm going through. Help, that's grace. That's the promise that we have a God who understands us. He suffered like us and he suffers with us and his love is never going to stop because of sheer grace. I don't know if you ever called 911 before, but I've had to make a couple of 911 calls at our house and it never happens when Teresa's home. It's always when I'm home by myself with the boys and I will uh, have to make this call. And you know how some of these little Four and five-year-olds call 911, and they save their mothers dying from heart attacks or choking, you know, and then they play the audio on uh, the news, and this little four- and five-year-old sounds super calm. Yes, my mother's choking, and uh, you just need to do the Heimlich maneuver? Sure, no problem. And she saves her life. That is never what my 911 calls 
sound like. It is sheer panic when I call. It would be the most embarrassing thing in the world to get the replays of my 911 calls. So if I ever see a Salmonac Fire EMT, I'm always embarrassed when I see them because they come rushing into my house and they just got off the phone or somebody did. <laughs> Help! My son's dying! There's blood everywhere! Literally, that's how my phone calls sound. That's prayer. It's a cry of utter help. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I just want help because I can't help myself. I need somebody outside me to come rescue me. And that's what Jesus did for us. That's what he wants to do for us. That's what he is calling us to do. When we have these personal moments of prayer, he says, just cry out for help. I understand, and I will bless you. And so when the EMTs come pouring into our yard, and they send everybody because the guy's so fanatical on the phone, they rush in, and there is a moment when there is still chaos. I still don't know what's going to take place with the situation. But it is a sense of protection because everybody who can do anything is in the room. And that is what personal petitionary prayer is. That we believe that when we call to God in prayer, because of what Jesus did for us, and because we realize we are sinners, and if we have asked Jesus to forgive us and call us, and we are following him, and we want to follow him, we can cry out for help. And we'll know that everybody who can do anything is in the room. That's grace. That's prayer. So pray by God's grace.
to God.